Thank you. So good to be with you all this evening. What a joy. I love the KJs. love the elder team here, the crew. I mean, I could, I could list a long list of names, but I'm super thankful. But I'm staying with Ryan and Giselle, so you guys are the bomb. Praise God. Praise God for you. Hey, let me just say this before I get started. If anyone has like an unused breath mint, I'd love to borrow that for uh, like have it for keeps. And because... Uh, I'm going to have to pray for some people after this, and I just want to be a blessing, not a curse, okay? <laughs> you feel me. So if anyone think, praise God, ask and you shall. I'm going to take two. I'm going to double it. No, no, no. Thank you so much. Okay, before I get started here, a couple things. I always just want to come and share uh, resources that can help people in their life with Jesus. Um, I wrote this book called New Identity, uh, 30 Days of Prayer for Spiritual Transformation. I wrote this a couple years ago. It's a, it's a devotional workbook on the topic of our identity in Christ. It's a 30-day journey that unpacks a different identity truth from Scripture for the Christian every day of the month. And how many of you know there's crazy confusion in our generation around the topic of, of, of identity? And part of the confusion exists around the reality that we have believed the cultural lie that identity is something we choose based on our feelings, our desires, even the lusts of our flesh. But in the kingdom of heaven, identity is not that which we choose, it's that which we receive. And what I argue is that there is healing, transformation, and freedom when you let the God who designed you be the God who defines you. So I want to help disciple a generation on the topic of identity. So that's, I put that together. Um, and then just this last year, I uh, published a simple Bible study on the Beatitudes for Gen Z. It's called Upside Down, Eight Crazy Statements Jesus Made About Life and Happiness. Part of what I do is I work with high school students. I give direction to a high school movement in Middle Tennessee. In the last three years, we've seen several thousand young people come to faith in Christ. So we published a simple Bible study for kids, to lead, uh, Gen Z, to lead Bible studies at the lunch hour on campus. So we've circulated like a thousand of these in our, in our city alone. Kids gathered around lunchroom tables, opening scripture together. And so both of these are for sale at the back table. Honest to God, if you're like, man, I don't have cash on me. I don't have a car and, and I, don't, I don't have any money. Just take a resource if you're going to use it and it's on me. All right. And so we did that. And then the third resource, which I wasn't going to promote, but like KJ is like, no, you, we want to do that. And just this a uh, couple weeks ago, some of my young friends who I team with, Within in our high school mission in Middle Tennessee, we, we just produced season one of a new podcast called the Wilco United Podcast. And we did the entire first season on the topic of identity. And these are just simple 15-minute video podcasts where we're confronting a cultural lie. We're unpacking a kingdom truth. And we're, again, we're trying to help disciple a generation on the topic of identity. TikTok is doing a wonderful job discipling a generation in the world's message of identity. But how many of you know you cannot give your allegiance to Jesus and take your cues from the world when it comes to the topic of identity? And so we just wanted to make that resource available. The first one we'll publish on Tuesday. You can find that, I think, on Spotify as well as YouTube. So the Wilco United podcast. There's two resources for y'all. Well, I'm excited to open scripture with you together. 
I've been told you have been in a series on the book of Acts. And I was super pumped when um, Nick tells me, I asked him, well, where'd you leave off? Because he kind of says, you can preach wherever you want or you can contribute to this series. Where'd you leave off? And he tells me, we've left off at Acts chapter 8, verse 26, which is, of course, the account of the evangelist Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, tonight we're, gonna do, we're not going to do a Bible background study on what a eunuch is, okay? You can look that up in your commentary later. But what we are going to do is we're going to unpack one of my very favorite scriptures in the New Testament and in the book of Acts, because from it, for me, in my opinion, this is one of the funnest New Testament scriptures to teach principles for the practice of evangelism or what I call gospel encounters. What's a gospel encounter? It's when the Holy Spirit takes a, a, a Jesus follower and intersects their life with the life of someone who's far from God and Jesus' love, truth, and powers communicated to them in that moment. God wants to write you into the great story of his pursuit of people who are far from God. If you think about the topic of evangelism, sharing your faith, ministering Jesus to others, probably a lot of us drum up different ideas in our minds that, and those ideas can either incline us to evangelism or they can kind of repel us from evangelism. One of the ideas I want to share with us this evening, though, is that evangelism is not something you do for God. Evangelism is something you do with God. In evangelism, we are actually teeming with God himself, who is the one in hot pursuit of someone else who's far from him. If you think about your own story, you could probably see at the moment of salvation where you repented of your sin, you gave your life to Jesus, you declared your allegiance to him, his Holy Spirit began to fill you and reside in you. You could probably see prior to that journey, moments and time where God intersected your story with the life of someone else who was on mission with him. Someone who's inviting you to church, inviting you to youth group, inviting you to camp or young life or some type of campus ministry, someone who gave you a scripture, someone who prayed for you. But time and again, the Holy Spirit was using another believer to reveal Jesus to you in a practical way. One of the things we don't want to have to happen is to falsely conclude that we failed in evangelism if we didn't get to seal the deal by praying the sinner's prayer with someone. How many of you know, sometimes when we look at our track record of sharing our faith with others, we think, well, I haven't really led anyone to Christ, or I haven't really led many people to Christ, therefore I must not be that good at evangelism. What I'm trying to help people who I disciple is understand that I don't want you to be interested in the misguided objective that you failed if you didn't get to pray the sinner's prayer with someone. I want you to buy into the idea that God wants to write you into the story of his pursuit. It's not a story about you trying to get a good testimony. It's a story of God himself in hot pursuit of someone who's far from him. And in his genius and in his beauty and his glory, he at times chooses to intersect your story with someone else's. I've chosen with the Lord. I said, Lord, I don't care if I'm just a closer. If I'm a closer, you know, someone who gets people to say, pray the sinner's prayer. I don't care, Lord. I do care. I want that to happen. But Lord, I, I just want to be a dot on the line of the story that you're writing in pursuit of someone else. That's what I want to encourage you with tonight. We're going to open scripture here in a, in a moment around Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. If you have Bibles, we can do that. I don't think scripture will be on the screen, will it? All right. A few things before we jump in. When I was a young teenager, after I'd given my life to Jesus, I spent my first spring break 
after that as a, as, a, as a high school student in Mexico on a mission trip. As I was standing before a, a, a building full of youth, 60 young people, I was sharing my testimony. I didn't even know what a testimony was, but I had written it out the, you know, months before, what my life was like before Jesus, how I met Jesus, and how Jesus had transformed me. And I remember writing it out going, holy crap, this is a good story. You know, like someone should share this, you know? And then I was told that I was going to speak it. I'm like, okay. So they give me the microphone as a young teenager on my first mission trip. I was supposed to share a five-minute testimony. And as I'm in front of this, in this building, in front of all these young Mexican young people, I heard a voice that spoke to me in my mind and says, tell them who I am. Show them who I am. And I didn't grow up in church, and I wasn't a part of a church that was like, into hearing the voice of God or like doing supernatural works. You know, I was, I was a Presbyterian in a Presbyterian church. You know, like we were like the frozen chosen, you know, like you can't even get us to clap during a worship song kind of thing, you know, like, and, and so this is the type of church that I was being discipled in, but I heard a voice that spoke to me, tell them who I am, show them who I am. I simply concluded this must be God. Who else is going to be talking to, talk to my mind right now, you know, while I'm speaking my testimony about Jesus. So I imitated my youth pastor in sharing the gospel after my testimony that Jesus lived the life we, could, we, should, we couldn't live, that he died the death that we deserved, that he rose from the grave, and he gives eternal life to everyone who repents and believes. I just imitated my youth pastor. No training on evangelism, but I saw it none. And then I took a next step. I gave an altar call. <laughs> and I had young kids raise their hand, you know, like, on the count of three for who want to surrender lives to Jesus. And 60 kids came to Christ. <laughs> First time I ever preached the gospel, you know, like, bam, right? Closer. Okay, so, <laughs> and so I did, I had no idea. Like, this, is, this was just normal to me. For me, it was like, yes, of course people are going to come to Christ when you preach the gospel. That's how good the good news is. I have been following that voice for several decades now. And it's the most epic adventure. Tonight, as we open scripture together, I'm hoping that some of you just get enlisted into the great adventure of hearing and obeying the voice of God as he's pursuing people who he loves that are around you. In Acts chapter 8, this is not the first gospel encounter that we see in the book of Acts. I argue it's like the third. The first gospel encounter, which we'll cover real quickly before we open scripture, is, is actually at Pentecost. We're gonna, we'll look at that momentarily. The second gospel counter is when Peter and John are on their way to the temple at the hour of prayer, and there's a beggar at the temple who's asking for alms, and they preach the gospel. The first gospel encounter, 2,000 people come to Christ. Is that right? And then the second gospel encounter, something like another 3,000 come to Christ. So now they're at a mega church level, 5,000 new Christians in two gospel encounters. Now we come to the third gospel encounter. We're going to look at in a moment here is the different things, principles we can learn for being effective in ministering Jesus' love, truth, and power to other people around us. We're going to do that in a moment here. I'm going to read scripture and then we'll jump in into this teaching. Acts chapter 8 verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, all right, we'll pause right there. Some of you, some of you heard that. You're like, yeah, I'm out. I'm out. You know, like, I'm just, I can't do evangelism because I've never had an angel just straight up speak to me, you know. And what I want to help you understand is that while this is really a dramatic passage, it's also a very simplistic 
passage that we're going to get some principles from. Okay. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise, go, uh, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So Luke says, and then so he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading of the prophet Isaiah. So it's a eunuch from Ethiopia reading the Old Testament. Verse 29, the spirit says to Philip, go over there and join his chariot. So Philip ran over to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. And he asked, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that was reading was this, like a sheep that was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation for his life was taken away from him, the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I am asking you, does a prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with this scripture, he told them all the good thing, news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip, the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What can we receive from this passage that's going to help us become a more effective witness of Jesus, of his love, his truth, and power to the world around us? Remember, this is the third gospel encounter that we see in the book of Acts. The first one is the day of Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, the 120 disciples are all gathered together in a prayer meeting. It's been 10 days. They've been waiting on the Lord for his promised Holy Spirit. The Bible says, and when the day of Pentecost fully came, they were all together in one place with one accord. And then the Bible says, and suddenly there came a sound like that of a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole place where they were gathered. And there sat upon them divided tongues as a fire, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the word of God as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Commotion, supernatural commotion. The Bible later says, at this sound, a multitude gathered to see what was taking place. Now, we know the multitude that gathered was at least 2,000 people. How do we know that? Because 2,000 people came to Christ at the end of Peter's sermon. And so the first gospel encounter, how does this even happen? How do we get to a moment where God writes us into the story of his pursuit of someone else? In this case, it was God's pursuit of 2,000 people, at least 2,000 people. How does this even happen? Sometimes gospel encounters are initiated by God himself with supernatural phenomena. Sometimes gospel encounters are initiated by the Holy Spirit in such profound way that no one else, there's no other explanation for how it began other than God. This is what happened at Pentecost. There was wind. There was a sound of a mighty rushing wind. There were symbols of fire. 
hanging over the head or actual fire hanging over the head of the disciples who were filled with the Holy Spirit that was speaking in tongues or speaking in, un, in, in other dialects, praising God. There was the supernatural boldness of Peter. Like God just initiated. He broke into a prayer meeting. You have no idea what's going to happen when you come to a prayer meeting, right? <laughs> God interrupted. He initiated something profound. Sometimes gospel encounters are like that. And, but what's required, even when God does something supernatural, you know what's required? The Bible says, and Peter stood up and he began to preach. He began to give an explanation to what was taking place. Even in, in gospel encounters where God is, is like initiating with such supernatural phenomena, even in that, those crazy moments where it's all God, even in those moments, it still requires a human partner who's willing to speak up and stand up in boldness. Do you see that? Some of us, we're waiting on, you know, we just, want this, we just want it to be all God, you know, and I understand that heart. But God's looking for someone who will team with him. He's looking for someone who will lean on his power, not on their own, lean on his wisdom, not on their own, follow his voice, not their own, speak his word, not their own, tell his story, not their own, reflect his heart, not their own. He's looking for someone who will stand even when it seems to be all him. In the second gospel encounter, we see this. I think I have a note about it. In the second gospel encounter, that's right. It's Peter John at the lame, at the lame man, uh, the gate called Beautiful and the lame man in Acts chapter 3, verses 1, all the way to chapter 4, verse 4. Here's how this one starts, okay? Peter and John are just going to prayer. They're literally walking from one side of the city to the other side where the temple was at the hour of prayer. This was actually a customary thing. They probably did it daily at that time while they were visiting Jerusalem. They were in the normal flow and normal routine of their life when they saw something very normal at the gate. It was a beggar, a man that they presumably saw every day who was there as they walked past. And, but somehow today was different. The Bible goes out of its way to explain that as they walked by, this man asked, was asking for alms, and Peter fixed his eyes on him. We don't know what happened in that moment, but something unique happened when Peter looked at this man. This man's asking for coin, and P Peter says, hey, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this lame man was healed in that moment. Another multitude gathers. Do you see how God works, right? A multitude gathers. Now we know it's at least 3,000 that gather. How do we know that? Because that's how many people were baptized at the end of Peter's sermon. Super dope, okay? Like, super dope. Peter stands up again and preaches his second sermon. 3,000 are added to the number. What's interesting about that gospel encounter is... It doesn't happen, it's not started, or it doesn't begin by supernatural phenomena of wind and fire. Don't you think if God did that once, man, we'd be waiting around like, oh, Lord, do it again, or, you know? Like, we want to press repeat on Pentecost. Lord's like, no, I've sent the Spirit. I don't want you to lean into Him. And so they're just on the way to prayer, going through the motions of everyday Christianity, following Jesus. 
And it's God begins to interrupt their day with an opportunity. Did you know that God wants to interrupt your day with divine opportunities to make his love, truth, and power known? Not one day has to be boring in the kingdom of God. I'm not talking about you having the greatest adventure of your life or always being on cloud and tin, you know. I'm talking not one day, though, has to be free of you hearing and obeying the voice of God. As you're pursuing Jesus, as you're on your way to prayer, as you're on your way to your devotion, as you're on your way to your community group, your small group, your accountability group, your Bible study, as you're on, just in rhythm with God, he wants to provide opportunities to display his love, truth, and power. So be on the lookout. And then we come to Philip, the third gospel encounter, the story we just read in Acts chapter 8. This is where it gets really even more practical. The story starts out very spectacular. The angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. Now, maybe he, most of us have probably never had an angel speak to us that we're aware of. And as a matter of fact, if we waited to share our faith or to do something cool with God, we waited for an angel to speak to us before we did anything with God, we probably wouldn't do much in the kingdom of heaven. But in the moment when God does speak in a spectacular way, Philip, he's postured to obey. He tells him to go to this very specific area, and I think it's amazing what we see. Verse 27, Philip rose and went. This, should, this is so deep. This should be in a seminary class. You know, like, how do you have a gospel encounter? Like, if God tells you to do something, do it. This is so deep. I know, I know, I know. Like, we're, this word study, we're going to word study in the Greek right now what uh, the word went means. You know, like, Philip rose and he went. You know, no, we're not going to do that. Very simply, Philip responds to the Spirit of the Lord, the angel of the Lord speaking to him. He arose and went, and then he sees something. He sees a dude from Ethiopia who's a eunuch. And he's reading, he's reading the Old Testament Scripture. And in the, the, in the ancient practice, Scripture was read out loud, even when an individual would read it. And so Philip hears him reading, not just any scripture, but one of the craziest messianic, you know, scriptures about the Messiah who was to come that was written of in the Old Testament. He hears and Philip's going, this has got to be it. I think it's fascinating that, that the angel didn't tell him who he was going to. He just told him where to go. God will be perfectly happy giving you divine instruction for a location, but giving you nothing else in the no, no other specifics in the moment. And then he waits on your obedience before he gives you anything else. At times, gospel encounters are like this. We just have to hear and obey the voice of God, whatever he gives us. And when we, what we find is that if we're faithful with little, he'll give us more. What's fascinating about Philip, though, is that more didn't come in the same way that the little came. Let's look at this. Verse 29, now the spirit said to Philip, go over there and join his chariot. So Philip ran to him and he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. This is fascinating because uh, 
He's, he's there at the place where the, the angel spoke to him. Now he's there and he sees a man off in the distance. He doesn't hear him yet. But the spirit now speaks to him. Go over there. And he runs. What we see in this gospel encounter is it goes from spectacular, supernatural, angelic voice to something that the, Luke writes, the spirit. It goes from spectacular, supernatural, angelic encounter to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? A gospel encounter sometimes blends both really clear divine instruction that's supernatural, that's almost sometimes unmistakable, and then it blends it with you hearing and obeying the still small voice of God. This should be really encouraging to people like you and me for whom maybe angelic encounters are not normative yet. But it should encourage us because some of us are waiting to hear like the supernatural voice of God or the, the spectacular voice of God. And, and the Spirit is waiting us to obey the subtle voice of God. And there's joy in obeying, hearing and obeying even the subtle voice of the Spirit. So Philip ran to him. He heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And the rest is history. It's super powerful. The only thing, there's much I could say about this passage. The, what I wanted to draw from it, and we're going to get into story time here. What I wanted to draw from it is that oftentimes in gospel encounters, it's a glorious blend of God's spectacular voice, God's subtle voice, human initiative, and loads of common sense. Where he hears the dude reading from Scripture, and he's already obeyed the angel, he's obeyed the Holy Spirit, now he just hears the voice of the man reading Scripture, and he gets no other instruction from the Spirit. And he has to rely on common sense. He's like, he's already reading the Bible. Maybe I should just talk to him about that. And actually, it's from the Old Testament he begins to preach the promised Messiah. And he preaches the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved. Philip is transported, which basically means the spirit took him. Bam, he's gone. Portal. Uh, don't use that word. <laughs> it's a new age word, right? Bam, he's transported by the Spirit to another location to preach to someone else. Super dope. Okay. I want to share some fun stories with you on my own gospel encounter journey. Some more recent stories. Does that sound good? All right. So some months ago, oh, maybe over a year ago now, actually, my family and I were on a layover in Salt Lake City. I was taking them on a ministry trip. I don't remember where we were coming from. I, honestly, we, but we, lay, we had a layover in Salt Lake City. And I have a family of six, okay? I got two little girls, two little boys, and my wife and I, we just celebrated 19 years of marriage last week. Yes, yes. All right, all right. And so we're in Salt Lake City, and we're sitting at McDonald's. Have, you know, we're sitting at McDonald's. Don't judge me, okay? <laughs> I, I don't receive it. McDonald's is delicious. <laughs> I didn't have it for years. I didn't have it for years, okay? I'm not going to lie, but <laughs> we're sitting at McDonald's in this food court at Salt Lake City. We're all kind of smaller tables, and there's a woman with a couple like high-end kind of like um, brand bags, you know, from the other side of the airport who's sitting across from my daughter Nina. My daughter Nina at the time is 13 years old. And this woman, I see her eyeballing my daughter, and so I'm like, I'm aware. You know, God wants to intersect my story 
the story of our family with the story of someone else. So I'm there. I'm, I'm kind of like, Lord, do you have anything here? And I'm just eating my uh, very healthy, um, <laughs> low sodium, you know, like <laughs> low in saturated fat, you know, like <clears throat> um, meal. And this woman begins to speak up. She looks at my daughter. She begins to engage in her conversation. So I'm kind of listening in. And this woman says something like this to my daughter. She says, oh, you're an athlete, aren't you? And she says, you're a soccer player. I, you're really good, aren't you? And I was like, Arr? You know, like, my dad, Tana, goes out, you know? Because I'm like, I could discern right in the moment, this woman is listening to a spirit. She said, you're an athlete. Oh, you're a soccer player. Oh, you're a very good one. But I know in the moment, in my knower, my discernment meters going, beep, 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 beep. She's not listening to the same spirit that I listen to. My discernment goes off. Now I'm like, take one move, devil. One move. One move. I will shank you. You know, like, not the woman, but in the spirit. You know, I'll shank the devil in the spirit. Battle's not against flesh and blood, okay? But I'm a thug. Okay, so... <laughs> So I'm waiting, I'm waiting. All of a sudden I'm praying like, Lord, give me something right now. You know, like Elijah and Mount Carmel, you know, like give me a better word of knowledge. You know, like she's listening to an evil spirit about my daughter. And it was clear to me she has like some new age mysticism background, you know. And, and so I'm like, Lord. And, and the Lord kind of interrupted me. And I'm like, okay, Lord, give me a heart for this lady. Oh my gosh, you love her, Lord. Oh, Lord, she's lost. Lord. Reveal something of your love to her today. Boom. Ideas populate in my mind. And I was like, it's on. <laughs> and so I said, hey, excuse me, ma'am. What's your name? She tells me her name. This is my daughter, Nina. Hey, it's so great to meet you. My name is Adam. Hey, I've got a, qu I've got a question for you. She goes, okay. And I said, you actually have a lot of very clear dreams, don't you? She turns her hips and her shoulders to me, and she says, as a matter of fact, I do. And I was like, one for one. You know, and then <laughs> I didn't say that. And then I said, uh, I said, and what's interesting about you, though, is you take your dreams very seriously, and you actually build all of your major life decisions on your dreams. Is that true? She says, that is actually true. And I said, and actually in business, you've made significant business decisions based on your dreams. And it's 